You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1182 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday, and thank you for joining us as always on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's show breakdown became a, another nice win for the Hawks, a sweep of a back-to-back for Atlanta to end the first quote-unquote half of the season as they go into Orlando and really win in pretty breezy fashion. The Hawks were never really challenged in this game. That's the way it should be. The Hawks are better than the Magic. It was a tricky spot on the road with regard to travel and situation for Atlanta, but they are the better, more talented team, and they play like it in this game, which was encouraging to see if you are a Hawks fan, and they end the first half again. I say first half loosely because it's more like two-thirds of the season, but the pre-All-Star break section with back-to-back wins. Um, we'll get into all of the specifics of this one, but the Hawks led by double digits early in this game, led by a lot of points at halftime. They hit 13 threes in the first half, a season high. They had a 32-point lead. In the second half, and uh, it was basically 20-plus for almost the entire second half of this game. So we'll get into the context of this one and go through the entire game flow, but uh, again, a very encouraging win and sort of a taking-care-of-business win for the Hawks on the road. Um, As I mentioned before briefly, it was a tricky spot on the schedule for Atlanta. Again, they are much better than Orlando on paper and also in practice this season. Even with the Hawks kind of struggling the way they have been, they've still been miles ahead of the Magic all season long. But a rest edge for for Orlando, having uh, played two days ago rather than the Hawks playing yesterday, plus the home court advantage for Orlando. So a tough spot there for Atlanta. The Hawks were 2-1, and one, now 3-1 and one against the matchup this season. By the way, this is the last matchup against Orlando this year out of the four that they play because they're a divisional rival of Atlanta. But the Magic, of course, have been pretty bad this season. No new injuries for the Magic. In fact, they have Jalen Suggs back in this game. Uh, it was the first time that Suggs played against the Hawks all year and also the first time that DeAndre Hunter played against the Magic all year. But Orlando still kind of a below-average team in almost every way. A bottom-five offense, a bottom-ten defense, etc., etc., um, on the Hawks' side, John Collins, of course, missed this game three games in a row now, and everyone holding their breath on his return, potentially, after the All-Star break. But other than that, as a clean report for the Hawks, Bogdanovich was on the injury report as questionable with the left ankle soreness that he's been bat- battling the last couple of games, but he played and played quite well, so that was good to see from Bogey. Nothing else really on the injury front for Atlanta. Our friends at Bet Online have actually sponsored this podcast, had the Hawks as about a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road which kind of illustrates how much better the Hawks are than the Magic because of the fact they had to overcome all the disadvantages they had on the schedule, and they were still favored to win pretty solidly, and of course uh, covered that with absolute ease in this game. So we'll go through it probably a little bit shorter than usual because the game was kind of a blowout throughout this one, but we will still hit all the high points as we always do on the podcast. Um, Orlando actually had an early run of 7-0 to take the lead early in this game, the first few minutes of this contest. No real damage, though, because the Hawks were scoring in bunches, as they did really the entire night. The Hawks, it was pretty tight for, like, the first six minutes of this game. The Hawks did have a small lead at the first timeout, um, but the Hawks only, only had four points, sorry, only had two points in the paint before that timeout because they were red hot from long distance. Trey Young had 11 of the first 20 for the Hawks, including his first three um, from downtown in the first five, six minutes of this game. Rotationally, it was very similar for Atlanta, until the second half when it got a little bit out of whack, which is kind of expected when you're up by this many points. But it was a nine-man group in the first half. Bogdanovich for Gallinari first, as it did on Tuesday, and then DeLon Wright 
Onyeka Kongwu, and then Gallinari as sort of the bridge guy. But Lou Williams came in the game with about three minutes left in the first quarter and made some NBA history along the way. Lou became the all-time NBA career leader in most games played in a reserve role. And also, Lou's also started more than 100 games in his career. So it's not just not just that. He's been playing for a long time. He and I, uh, have, I've known Lou for a long time. Um, but he's been in the league forever, of course, straight out of college, etc., but an NBA record passing Del Curry, actually, for this record of games played off the bench. And Lou has already held for a while. This has kind of been under-discussed, I think. But Lou's already been the all-time leading scorer in a bench role in NBA history for a little while now. So another one on his agenda. And, of course, Lou has been fantastic for a long time. Good to see him get some recognition on this evening. Um... The Hawks then had their first big run of the night, a 13-2 push to go up by 11 with about three minutes left in the first quarter. By Donovan back-to-back threes off passes by Trey Young. Uh, Trey also made, also made my guy Franz Wagner look very bad off the dribble. That one made the rounds even nationally when when Franz uh, hit the floor um, in pretty in pretty embarrassing fashion. When Trey got him turned around, that was uh, a funny moment and also a, uh, a clear highlight for Atlanta. And the Hawks led by as many as 14 points in the opening period. Ended up going up by 12 at the end of the quarter after DeLon Wright hit a three in the final 10 seconds or so. The offense was fantastic um, early and often. They scored 37 points on 25 possessions in the first quarter. That's excellent, of course. Um, they hit seven threes. They were seven of 10 from three. That always helps with, with efficiency. Only two turnovers in the first quarter as well. Trey had 11. Bogey had eight. Very, very good there. They held the Magic down to under point per, under point per, per possession in the first quarter. Um, it is worth noting, as I mentioned sort of briefly earlier, Orlando, I believe, is third worst in the league in offensive rating coming into the night. So a little bit of an easy matchup, if you want to say that defensively. But at the same time, the Hawks did play fairly well uh, for the most part on defense, even though it was kind of an offense-first uh, explosion in this one. The Hawks stayed hot, though, in the second quarter. They actually opened up a 19-point lead. They had 52 points in the first 16 minutes or so, um, about a 145 offensive rating at that point. The Hawks were 11 of 16 from three, and it didn't stop there. They really kept it going for a long time. Rotationally, again, more, kind of more of the same from Tuesday, the same nine guys. And the Hawks essentially led by 13 to 19 points, something like that, for the entire second quarter, basically. But the largest lead of the first half was also the halftime lead of 19 points. And truly, it would have been a massive, massive collapse to lose this one after being up by that much at the halftime break. I am quick to point out that 19 points at the half in the NBA is not a super safe lead. Clearly, any team would be favored up 19 at the half in the NBA, but we see all the time teams blow 20-point leads in the NBA. It's not like unprecedented, but given the matchup, given Orlando's offensive struggles, etc., the all-star break looming, it would have been a pretty bad collapse, and uh, this game never got tight in the second half by any means, but... In the first half, the Hawks had a pretty hilarious offensive profile, and I say that with love because it was obviously quite effective. They had, they scored more than 1.4 points per possession in the first quarter, so um, in the first half, I should say, and uh, that is going to be good under any circumstances. So I want to make that very clear. I'm not criticizing, but it is very very funny the way they did it. So the Hawks were 13 of 19 from three. They were also 11 of 13 from the free throw line, which is uh, very good in both attempts and accuracy. So those are both awesome numbers. But the Hawks were 11 of 30 from two. 11 of 30, that is not even 35%, on two-point shots. That is, like, the combination of going 11 for 30 on twos and also scoring 72 points and over 1.4 points per possession in the in the half is jarring. It's, uh, I would say, borderline impossible to do that. And the Hawks did it, of course. Um, 
by the way, the most three-pointers in a first half this season for the Hawks. They also tied their season high for any half with 13 threes. You remember in that Minnesota game when the Hawks hit the franchise record for threes, they hit 13 in the second half and 12 in the first half, uh, which is kind of a remarkable performance earlier in the season. Um, but beyond that, the Hawks were super hot, off, obviously from the three-point range in the first half, and really the entire game. But weirdly, um, adding more fuel to the insanity fire of that first half, they only had 10 assists, which isn't like a crazy low number normally, but when you score 72 points and hit all those threes, 10 assists is a very, very low number. And honestly, it wasn't like bad process. The Hawks had a bunch of open threes. They were hot for sure, but they created a lot of good looks. Orlando's defense was kind of helpful in that regard as well, but there's not a lot of assists to go along there. But part of the reason why they were able to overcome the 11 for 30 on two, in addition to the hot three-point shooting, was they only had three turnovers in the entire first half, and set off set off, off its rebounds. So the profile was very strange, but the Hawks were extremely effective, obviously, before halftime. Uh, Trey Young, Young had 18 points despite going 0-5 on twos in the first half, another uh, b- another bizarre one. In fact, Trey had a, a bit of a, it's kind of a weird stat, but also a pretty interesting one. Hawks PR passed along that he is the first player in the entire NBA this season to be perfect on threes and free throws in a, in a half with at least four threes and six free throws. So he was perfect on everything except for twos, and he was 0-5 on twos. Just a bizarre half of basketball all the way around. Orlando offensively was better in the second quarter, but nothing nothing great. They did have some success at the rim, at least not at the rim, maybe like more, more so in the paint, like that floater range. They had some success there. Cole Anthony had a couple of nice floaters, and they shot 50, 58% on twos. But everything else was pretty good for the Hawks. They forced 10 turnovers in the first half, which is almost their full season average in terms of uh, full game stuff. But they did a pretty good job on defense. I will say in transition, if you watch the tape back in the first half, the Hawks were not good on defense in transition in this game, and really especially in the first half. But because they scored so often, they didn't have a whole lot of transition opportunities on defense, which kind of covered up for that and allowed the Hawks to build that lead that they never would relinquish. So we'll get into all this stuff in the second half, uh, kind of a breezy half of basketball, obviously, given the score in this one. Then we'll sort of look ahead at the rest of the All-Star break and also the player evaluations, etc. on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Online. Football season is now over, unfortunately, for those of us that enjoy that sport, but basketball is in full swing for both pro and college hoops. With all of that said, we get the latest odds, totals, player props, where the next coach might be landing, everything else that you might find in the betting space, you can find it at betonline.net. It's the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball either. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and even the next odds on Olympic coverage and all of the information for that space. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. But online, where the game starts. All right, in the second half, again, pretty self-explanatory in some respects if you watch this game, but I'll go through with some of the high points now. The Hawks led by 23 pretty quickly in the third quarter after not getting it above 20 in the first half at any point. They were still hot from three, 15 of 23 at one point on some really good looks. The Magic called timeout about seven minutes left in the third quarter. Um, and then even sort of going into that and then coming out of that, the Hawks had an 8-0 run to go up by 26. That was the largest lead of the night at that point in time. Orlando hit back-to-back threes to kind of punch back a little bit, get it back to 20, but it was pretty much over at that stage. Um, in terms of notes, rather than putting Hunter back in after his first rotation, they basically have only used Gallinari and Hunter at the four in Collins' absence. But because of the comfortable lead, I would imagine, they went to Kevin Knox in the third quarter to kind of take some of the heat off Hunter playing the four. That was a good decision in my mind because the game was, like I said before, kind of over at that stage. It was probably a good idea to not put more miles on Hunter at the four. 
Knox was not particularly good, but I thought it was okay to go ahead and do that, considering, and it was also like kind of the first time in a long time that anyone out of the outside of the top ten played any re- actually rotation minutes. I use that kind of loosely because the Hawks were up by so many points, but it wasn't over. He was playing alongside the starters and some of the other guys who were in, in the regular rotation for the Hawks, so worth noting at least briefly. Um, Rotation-wise, though, they stuck with the rest of the rotation for the most part. Trey came out a little bit earlier than usual in the third quarter and never returned. Um, Hunter had actually a laceration under his eye, the Hawks said, but he was actually available to come back, briefly did, in the fourth quarter. Um, the Hawks were up by 20, or po- 20 points or more for the final eight minutes of the third quarter and the entire fourth, so basically the last 20 minutes of the game, the Hawks were up by 20 or more in the entire way. And they were up by 22 at the end of the third with a 139 offensive rating. They had actually eight assists in the third quarter which is good to see after only 10 in the first half, but uh, it was kind of academic, academic at that point in time. In the fourth, we'll kind of breeze through this a little bit. Um, they played, again, Knox to end the third quarter, and then actually went back to Gallo in the fourth, which I was a little bit surprised by because Gallo was pretty clearly like laboring physically. It's back-to-back, tough spot for him. He's played a lot of minutes recently. I probably would have tried to at least get through it with Knox and maybe Hunter even, but alas, um, the Hawks scored the first eight points of the fourth quarter to go up by 30. Uh, Bogdanovich had actually a nice kind of sneaky, I'm not sure it was a dunk, it was kind of like a, kind of like a throw-in dunk over Chumo Kiki on a reverse that ended up working working very well there. Lou had a jump shot, DeLong got a steal and a dunk, and then Kongu had a dunk as well. So three dunks and that 8-0 run by the Hawks to go by, up by 30. And if it wasn't already over, and I think it probably was, it was absolutely over at that point. Um, I thought they played Gallinari for too long, to be honest with you, because it was they were up by 30 or 28 points. And like I said before, he was kind of laboring a little bit, and uh, I would he'd be he'd be a high on my list of guys to maybe not tax a ton right now, particularly with Collins and the uncertainty there. I was surprised that they went, went back to Hunter as well because it was kind of over, so it was probably a good time to go to Knox and Jalen Johnson. They did put Jalen Johnson in before the full garbage time. I guess it was already garbage time, but he was in before the full bench clear, so they gave him I guess like a minute and a half, two minutes um, alongside Knox and some of the regular regular bench guys. Um, but then. They pulled the plug with like four and a half minutes to go empty the bench. The other thing that I was surprised by, other than Gallo playing a lot, was Bogdanovich, who was on the injury report in this game, was playing with like, you know, they were up 28 or something like that, six minutes to go. It was probably time to give him up the floor as well. But Nate uh, is going to be Nate in some respects and kind of keep the foot to the pedal, uh, sorry, the pedal to the floor more often than not until it's uh, later than I would worry about that. But they, you know, I guess to his mild credit, they did totally empty the bench with like five minutes to go and they wrote it out from there. So, it was never competitive in the second half for even a minute, to be honest with you. Um, offensively for the whole game, the Hawks had a 130-plus offensive rating in the competitive portion of this contest. They had seven guys in double figures. That's a very nice, balanced effort for Atlanta. Only the third time this season that they've had seven guys in double figures. That so kind of tells you how rare that actually is. In fact, all nine of the rotation players in this game scored at least eight points. So it was essentially as balanced as a team can be. Uh, offensively for the Hawks in this game. Uh, 18 of 33 from three-point range is actually the highest mark of the season in terms of accuracy. Not the record or anything close to the 25 three-pointers that they actually had against Minnesota, but the highest accuracy mark they had all season long from three. Um, They shot 50% from the floor, so they were better in the second half from two-point range by a wide margin. They took 28 free-throw attempts. That's a very good number for Atlanta as well. They had more offensive rebounds and turnovers in the game, which is also a very good sign. So, you know, through the numbers, unsurprisingly, it was a dominant effort in terms of overall. And then even when you sort of zero in, there were very few weaknesses in the offensive profile in this game for the Hawks. Um, defensively, it was more just okay, but they did the job for the most part. They did beat their defensive rating for the season uh, pretty comfortably. 
I will give a hat tip to Orlando, who, again, is bad on offense. Um, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty well executed from the Hawks, especially when you when you get up big. Um, sometimes you tend to let down a little bit on, on defense, particularly if you're a team that can score, as the Hawks um, are capable of. But for the most part, they fought against that, I thought. Even the garbage time minutes, they kind of played decent defense, and they were, they were kind of, uh, I don't know, flexible and kind of pesky at times. I thought transition was the biggest problem on the night for Atlanta, if you wanted to find one, but that was kind of a small consideration. Um, they won the turnover battle in the game. They won the free throw battle. They actually limited the attempts from Orlando very effectively uh, defensively in this game. And the Magic had a 52% true shooting mark in the game. You have to take that, even with their weaknesses. The Hawks did contest shots adequately, adequately enough and kind of let their offense, which was uh, absolutely firing on all cylinders in this game. By the way, the two-game stretch, the Hawks were uh, pretty dominant offense <laughs> this week. Uh, it's you know They're capable of that, obviously, as a top three unit in the league on offense this season. But in terms of a 48, uh, sorry, 24, 26-hour kind of stretch, the Hawks were pretty much perfect in offense for two straight days. And that kind of uh, gives you some margin for error on the defensive end of the floor. Okay, before we get into the final segment of the podcast, talking about the player evaluations, as well as a look at the standings and a brief look ahead to the All-Star break, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Rock Auto. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again, but frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time, and you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need, from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there, you want to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Okay, and the final segment of the podcast talks about the uh, player evaluations on this Wednesday evening. And the Hawks, of course, played quite well on the whole and also individually for the most part in this one. Uh, other rotation guys will include Kevin Knox. He actually played some rotation minutes. He was not particularly good, as I referenced before. He had three points, five rebounds, was 0-5 from the floor. They get to the line for four free throw attempts, made three out of the four. Um, I don't want to judge him too harshly because he didn't play a ton, but they, at least they wanted to mention him. Everybody else played five, six minutes of garbage time, so I'm going to leave those guys out for now. Um, Lou Williams, I mentioned before the NBA record that he made on this night. He wasn't super efficient. He had nine points on 10 shooting possessions, which is below average, but had four assists, was plus 13, had some nice playmaking chops in this game. Didn't shoot it great again, but it was uh, probably okay by his standards, I would say. The long right was quite good. 10 points, six rebounds, a, a, an assist and a steal. No turnovers, plus four, four or five from the floor, two of three from three. He has been uh, pesky and good for a while, and that continued in this game. Akongwu was quite good off the bench, 12 points, 6 rebounds, 2 block shots in 20 minutes, made 6 out of 7 from the floor, misses only free throw attempt, but I thought it was a plus-plus game from Akongwu as well in reserve duty. Bogdanovich was awesome, in fact, uh, Bogey finished the, finished the uh, pre-All-Star break run with 20 points or more in 3 of the last 4 games, he's clearly finding his stride after a very slow start to the season, but 23 points, 6 assists, 2 steals, and a rebound. Um, 9 of 13 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3. Um, you know, people were asking me during the game, talking about it during the game, and like comparing him to last year. I have said a number of times, I'll say one more time, like 
Second half last year, Bogdanovich was basically playing on an all-star level. That's how good he was. I'm not exaggerating that. I have no reason to. He shot 50% from three over like you know almost half the season last year. That's how good he was. It was not. It's not reasonable to expect that to happen again. But I will say he has been looking like the guy he's supposed to look like recently. Uh, comparing him to last year's second half guy is probably not what you want to do just in terms of like logic. But I think that what you can do is hope that he is the guy that the Hawks signed to, the, to that four-year contract. And uh, he's been that guy, maybe a little bit better than that guy, the last couple of weeks. So fingers crossed on that if you're a Hawks fan. But it's been a huge difference in terms of what he's been able to give you on offense and even on defense. Um, not great defensively, but still much better than it was early on in the season. And obviously playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of juice on offense, hunting a shot. Um, distributing, etc. So he's a good player when he's got it going. He's been and he's had it going recently. It's been a huge uh, X factor for Atlanta. To the starters, um, Gallo was solid again in this game. Eleven points, four rebounds, an assist and a steal. I did think that he was laboring physically. He probably needs the alter a bit more than, more than anybody. Uh, a back-to-back, playing a lot of minutes without Collins. Um, you know, clearly everybody's holding their breath on John Collins. And while we're here, there's no guarantee that Collins returns as soon as the all-star break is over. Obviously, everybody's rooting for that um, around the Hawks and, of course, in the fan base, but um, there is some uncertainty there, so having Gallo playing well is a good sign, but you don't want to overtax him too much. They lean on pretty heavily this week, as they kind of had to, but uh, Gallo is an older guy, and he looked kind of the part of a creaky, sort of that creakiness on this night. So we'll see if he can recharge over the all-star break, but he played still uh, pretty decent, I thought, in this game. Uh, Hunter had some moments, had 14.3 rebounds. Um, not super efficient, but decently enough on the end of the floor. It was actually plus 23 in the game. Played uh, reasonably well. Had some nice attacking moments ar- around the rim. I thought Capella was pretty solid, as he usually is. Eight points, nine rebounds, two block shots. There was a clip that was uh, started by Kevin Shinar where uh, Clint was just being Clint on, on defense and just you know shelling and being uh, always in the right place at the right time on defense, rebounding the ball at a high level. He's just really good, and we'll leave that there for now. Um, Herter had a good night, uh, sort of a nice bounce back from a shooting perspective. Uh, 15 points on 10 shots. That's obviously good efficiency. Three rebounds, two assists, and a steal for Kevin, plus 22 in 25 minutes. Uh, Trey Young had a very strange stat line. 22 points and six assists in 25 minutes is really good. Obviously, he sat for the last you know quarter plus of this game, but he actually was only one of eight on twos in this game, uh, which is a little bit strange, but it was four or five on threes, eight of eight at the line. So he boosted his efficiency despite the bad two-point shooting, but uh, he was quite good. They had no answers for him whatsoever in this spot. And uh, you know, basically across the board, there was no one I thought played poorly for the Hawks that actually played real minutes for them in this game. That kind of tells you how, uh, how well this night went on the whole. So from here, this is going to be, uh, I'll do some Debbie Downer stuff right now, and then I'll sort of boost it up the rest of the podcast. The Debbie Downer side, uh, I saw some people making the parallel between last year and this year by noting that the Hawks last year were in 11th place in the East, and they won their last two games before the All-Star break, including a win in Orlando. So it's obviously a parallel there, but... Um, to, and obviously from there they went on to make the run to the top four seed, um, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll just note that last year, the All-Star break was actually at the halfway point. Last year, they played 36 games before the All-Star break and 36 games after the All-Star break. So it was actually right in the middle. So it's a lot, it was a lot, quote unquote, easier for the Hawks to make a big run because they had a lot more time to do so. This year, they're in 10th place, which is actually closer than they were last year, but, uh, they played 58 of 82 before the All-Star break this time around. So basically about 70% of the season is not over, whereas last year it's 50% of the season. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now that it's not impossible to make the run that they could kind of make last year, but it's not apples to apples necessarily. I do understand that it's a very convenient parallel, and it's actually kind of weird how 
similar it feels because of the Orlando thing and the two straight wins, etc. But it's not quite exactly the same. Now, on the more positive side, the Hawks did win these two games. They were very nice wins, particularly without Collins to go out and beat Cleveland in particular, but then also to not give it back tonight in Orlando was a good sign. And they're now 28-30 and 30 on the season. That is not where they wanted to be. No one would say otherwise, particularly when the Hawks have not been like incredibly healthy. But if I told you that before the season started that Trey Young wouldn't miss extended time and neither would John Collins until now, anyway, uh, Capella, etc. They've had their guy, other than the, obviously, the COVID-ravaged season, which definitely hurt them for like two and a half weeks. That definitely sunk them in the standings. But even before that and after that, they haven't been great. Um, I would have been surprised by that, obviously. But I continue to believe... If you listen to this podcast for the first time in a while, you may not know this, but I've been saying for a while, the Hawks are better than their record. I stand by that. I still believe it. Um, maybe I'm naive, but I do I do believe that. But with these wins, they're, they're in a decent spot, actually. Um, as, as frustrating as it's been to this point in time, they're now in solo possession of the 10th spot in the East. And by the time they play again, they could be tied for ninth. Charlotte plays on Thursday. They're in ninth right now, and they play Miami on Thursday. They're going to be underdogs in that game probably. So if the Hawks can get a break there from Charlotte, they, they could be tied for ninth going into the break, which would actually feel decent after everything that's, that's happened so far. Um, unfortunately, in terms of the standing look tonight, Brooklyn had a crazy comeback win over the Knicks. The Knicks kind of gave the game away in a lot of ways. But now the Hawks are still three behind the Nets for the eighth seed in the East. They're four and a half behind the Raptors for the seven seed in the East. But Boston actually finally lost a basketball game tonight, and they were up by eight with four minutes to go and gave it away to the Pistons. So a weird one from Boston who's been really, really good lately, but a nice one for the Hawks anyway, because now the Hawks are within five of the Celtics. Now, down five with 24 games to go is a tough, tough ask. So uh, no longer would I project the Hawks to be a top six seed. I think that's pretty unrealistic to project. Now, is it possible? Yes. I think the Hawks would probably have to go like 18-6 and six to really have a chance to be a top six seed, something like that. Maybe 17-7 and seven might get them there, but you got to remember how many teams they have to go over. It's not just beating Boston by five games over 24. They have to beat four teams to get there. So, all that said, the Hawks do have a run in them. I, I believe that. The schedule's not too difficult. At this moment, for the rest of the uh, rest of the season, according to Tankathon, our friends there towards the strength of schedule, the Hawks are number 25, which is uh, the sixth easiest schedule remaining in the NBA. So it is doable to make a run here. The Hawks are capable of it in terms of their roster. Um, do I think that they're going to be a top six seed? No. But I think realistically they could be in, the, in that 7-8 game and there are advantages to being in the 7-8 versus the 9-10. So um, I would say the goal, as Nate and others have said a number of times, is the six seed or the top six. The more realistic goal, in my mind, as someone who's a neutral observer from away, is that getting in that 7-8 matchup um, would be very nice for Atlanta. And given all the issues that Brooklyn's having without Kevin Durant, um, Toronto is a team that I think obviously just beat the Hawks twice, but um, not a team that's like leaps and bounds better than the Hawks by any means. So they can get in that mix and that'd be a much better uh, sort of solid place to be at. But at this point in time, going into the All-Star break, 28 and 30, it could have been worse. Could have been much better, obviously, but a nice little close to this. And uh, getting those two wins without John Collins, very, very nice to see by Atlanta. From here, the Hawks have a week off. Uh, I'm not going to take the entire week off, but I'm going to be uh, taking at least a couple days here and there. I will not be doing five shows uh, in between now and when they play again. My apologies on that. But 
Uh, this is my one and only time during the season to maybe actually eject for a little bit of time. I uh, sometimes miss a game or two in terms of like live reactions because of unavoidable travel. But this is the time where uh, the Hawks do have some representatives. Of course, uh, Trey Young and Dominique Wilkins will be heading to Cleveland. Do- Dominique getting, is getting honored rightly as a top 75 player of all time and Trey in the three-point contest and the All-Star game. But I will not be covering those, quote-unquote, in terms of uh, podcast content or going to Cleveland, etc. So my apologies on that. But nothing else that I'm uh, terribly interested in there with regard to uh, obviously you're going to root for Trey if you're a Hawks fan, but we'll leave it there for now. But the Hawks are back in action on next Thursday. So they have seven or eight full days off here. Then they actually come back. They'll practice once or twice before they, before they return to action. They play on the road, though, to begin the second half, quote-unquote, of the season in Chicago. That's an interesting test because the Bulls, of course, are playing pretty well this year. And DeMar DeRozan's been red hot. Um, and then their next home game is next Saturday against Toronto in a game where the Hawks are going to be looking for some revenge after losing two straight to the Raptors in the last couple of weeks. So that's a big, I mean, honestly, two big spots in a row coming out of the gate for the Hawks. We'll cover that more next week as we sort of preview things. I'm not going to leave you hanging without, without podcast content. I promise you that. But uh, please subscribe to the show. The best way to find out when a podcast is going to drop is to subscribe via whichever pl- platforms that you enjoy. Um, people always ask me how to support the podcast. I would tell them to download the podcast via multiple platforms. Subscribe on multiple platforms. Leave five-star ratings. Tell your friends. All that fun stuff. Follow us on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to. At, um, sorry, follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And as I've sort of alluded to a couple times, I'm going to be uh, starting. In fact, it already exists. There's just nothing in, on the channel just yet. There'll be a Locked on Hawks YouTube channel with some video content in terms of uh, this podcast will be recorded um, live on video moving forward. It, it's not going to run live on this, so I'm not going to be, re- you won't be watching me record it live, but it will be up there uh, in video form moving forward. So keep an eye on that. I will tell you and announce that on Twitter and other places and also on this show when it's going to be happening. But when that happens, I will be looking for your support to uh, click that subscribe button on YouTube as well. Even if you don't listen uh, or, or I guess or watch the podcast on that platform, uh, it still helps us to subscribe wherever we have the podcast. So Thank you, as always, for listening to the show, everybody. I really appreciate all of the support over the first half-plus of the season. We're not going anywhere, I promise you. Uh, I might not have a podcast until next week, but uh, if not, enjoy the weekend. That's for sure. All-Star Weekend is a nice time to sort of, if you're an NBA fan, enjoy the entertainment aspect of the game, and then we'll sort of get back to the grind next week. But we'll have much more, and we'll see you next time.